Are you looking for a view of the world that's a bit different? Hi, I'm Jason Palmer, a host of The Weekend Intelligence, a podcast from The Economist. Join us to hear the stories that matter most to our correspondents and editors. Every Saturday, we introduce you to people and ideas that take you outside the ordinary and expand your horizons one episode at a time. Join us and see the world from a new perspective. To listen free until May 31st, search Spotify for The Weekend Intelligence. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Constantine the Second! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factory, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots, from Kenneth McAlpin to James the Sixth. Um, Elizabeth the Second being available in our old podcast. On the English podcast. Mm. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. You can email us, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, yes, please. And lovely. join in the discussions. Uh, send us a message or follow us on Twitter, at rexfactorpod. And have a look at our blog, rexfactor.wordpress.com, where you see more articles about all of this, and you can do polls to say whether or not yeah. you agree with our decisions about who deserves the Rex Factor. So, Constantine II this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is quite uh, an important one. We've had a few episodes where, to be honest, we didn't have an awful lot to go on. Barely anything. Barely anything to yeah. go on. Constantine, we've actually got a proper episode. Right, good. So you're getting your money's worth. Oh, it's free. Exactly. So, a quick recap of his predecessors. Yep. We had Kenneth McAlpin. K-Mac. Came along from sort of nowhere to rule Dalriata and Pickland. Um, made marriage alliances with kings of Kingdom of Strathclyde, mm. where we've got the Britons, and also people in Ireland. Yep. Very clever. Constantine I mm. had all the Vikings swarming around everywhere. Mm. And he was just sort of trying to keep his head down while all these various kingdoms are falling. But eventually, sniper bullet above the parapet. Exactly. Mm. Head went down. Uh, and then we had that infighting. So Ayath came along. Yes. Hashtag remember Ayath. Assassinated by Girik. Mm-hmm. And then after about a decade, Girik is overthrown by Donald II. Mm-hmm. And then Donald II is killed by the returning Vikings. Chaos, really. Yeah. Yeah, last four monarchs have been killed. Not good, is it? So mm. f- so far, the only one who survived is Kavak and Donald. Which one's Donald? Uh, the one you kept calling Bernard. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> right. So hopefully Constantine will be more successful, but it's uh, yeah difficult times. Well, let's find out. As ever, we don't know exactly when he's born. Naturally, uh, probably sometime in the mid sort of eight seventies. Right. So, i.e. before his father is killed. Yes. And probably during the reign of Constantine I, his uncle, because we assume that that's maybe why he's called Constantine. Right, and when was... So that's about mid-870s, you're saying? Yeah, mid to late-870s. He is the son of hashtag remember I. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I know. Poor guy, I just can't. can't. And um, Mrs. hashtag remember I. <laughs> we don't know who she was. So he's the grandson of Kenneth McAlpin, mm. the nephew of Constantine I, right. and the son of Ieth. Okay. And then his predecessor as King Donald II as his cousin. So it is all it is all one family apart from that one. Apart from Girit. Yeah. And, okay. and all Yoki. So he's got a difficult job on his hand. Is he going to be up to the job? We don't have any contemporary portrait or likenesses of him, but we oh, do but have yes. Heritage Playing Cards Limited. Now, I like this, because Graham has taken to covering the playing card so that I have no idea what it looks like until I do that. Oh. Um, right. So, how, how does he look? Listen up, readers. We have uh, a very elderly chap here. <laughs> Think Game of Thrones, the other one. Lord of the Rings, yeah. uh, very red face, probably a bit too much to drink, but grey, big grey beard, grey long hair, crown on his otherwise bald head, staff, but no sword. No sword. Mm. Mm. So what's your immediate impression of what we're going to get from Well, I can see that it's the Two of Diamonds, so I'm, yeah. I reckon he's not He's not a big hitter. Uh I reckon the I reckon the card illustrator here mm. is plumping for wisdom and longevity. They're the two mm. key words that come to mind. The staff itself may also uh, come into our discussion at some okay. point. We'll come to that later. Uh, his epithets 
from the Prophecy of Birken is Anne Midheis, the middle-aged. Spot on. Indeed. Mm. He's elderly in the photo, in the card rather, but of course he isn't always that age. <laughs> no. And his life starts off pretty dramatically. His father is hashtag remember Ieth. Oh, poor chap, yeah. Who is, of course, assassinated. Mm. Uh, his father bequeaths nothing else memorable to history. Other than his death. Other than his death. So Constantine and Donald go to Ireland into exile. Oh, yeah, these are two hairy ones, then. Two, for some reason, hairy ones. Yeah. And uh, they stay with their aunt, Mal Muir. So she's the daughter of Kenneth McAlpin that married off to the So it comes in useful that they've got uh, a royal court to go to in Ireland. Then in 889... So that's uh, 878 that uh, I think Ith was killed. So 889, they return, kill Girik in battle... Yeah, Alpine dynasty is restored. Boom. Perfect. It's all good. However, it all goes a bit wrong when 900, Donald II, is killed by Vikings. Yes. So Constantine becomes the king in 900, and once again, we've got Vikings. Because Donald top. was his contemporary. Yeah, his cousin. Right, and there was never any warring between Constantine II and Donald II as to who should have ruled. Not that we know of, so it was that sort of old thing where it goes between the sort of brother line. So first we have Constantine's son, which is Donald II, mm-hmm. then we'll have Ith's son, which is Constantine II. Right, okay, so they're perfectly happy with that sound. As far as we know, perfectly yeah. happy, but the Vikings, as ever, causing chaos. Oh, those pesky Vikings. In 903... Um, we have the Vikings in Scotland plundering Dunkeld and all Albania, That's which, if we recall, is Alba, Scotland, right. not... Oh, gosh, another one. But so, this means the Vikings, they killed Donald in 900, now they're ransacking Dunkeld and all around Scotland, back to the old tricks. Yeah, okay, great. Some have speculated this is because in 902, Fland Sinner who is Malmure's new husband, mm. kicked them out of Dublin. Oh, right. And he's doing like the uh, Danish fellow did, chasing them around the mm. islands of Scotland. Okay. But, actually, we know they were there in 900 already because of Donald. Right. So it may be these ones are already there, but more are coming. It, it's just textbook Viking stuff, isn't it? Lots more Vikings. I'm bored of this behaving. So these are, p- and these are old-school pagan Vikings again. Brilliant. The best ones. The Norse ones. And these are the Ui Ivar. Mm. So these are the grandsons of Ivor the Boneless. Lovely. Who was the one causing lots of trouble yeah. under Constantine. They got the Earth. heritage. Exactly, yeah. it's all back. Um, and probably it is an Ivor who's at the forefront of the dynasty at this point, so right. another Ivor. Good. So in 904, some of the Vikings go south, mm. but Ivor and quite a large bulk of the troops stay in Scotland, continuing to plunder and cause havoc. Okay, and at this point in England, that's where we're... They're pushing further south and we've got the Watling Street business. Mm. Okay, fine. So, Constantine's got to do something about it. He certainly does. Raises an army and takes them on in battle at Strata. Oh, we've learnt this. Never, ever take on the Vikings. And he wins. Whee! Don't listen to me. Doing very well, Constantine. Carry on. Uh, And it's an excellent victory. The Vikings are effectively pushed out of Scotland. Right, okay. kind of problem dealt with within his kingdom. Big, big... He's doing really well. He's arrived by force. Yeah. He's kicked the Vikings out. Yeah. Really good. A couple of years later, in 906, he holds an assembly on um, Moot Hill at Schoon. Mm. So it's sort of public ceremony, proclaiming to uphold the church laws and customs. Um, so it's quite likely, you know, it's a couple of years after the Vikings, a lot of infighting. It's maybe a sort of ceremony of renewal. Mm. And we've just yeah. had Alba come into being as this idea of a unified Scotland. Yeah. Which is quite a new idea. Right, okay. Good. Underlining a little chapter exactly. saying subjectivity, here we come. Exactly. And he then starts to look down south. Hello. So oh, well, <laughs> ding ding ding. <laughs> <laughs> now previously the Vikings uh, in England who are dominant are of Anglo Danish extract. Yeah. So they've been there for a while and we have a thing called the Dane Law. Yeah. Where Alfred the Great and Guthrum Guthrum the Viking, Alfred the Great the Saxon, had agreed a sort of partition of England. Yeah. So the Vikings have got sort of East Anglia, Northumbria, sort of the East Coast, Midlands, yeah. North East. And we've got the left. Well, the, the left, the south, the south-right. Okay, fine. <laughs> so it's a split. Anyway, so it's Anglo-Danish yeah. dynasty are dominant. But Alfred dies in 899. Yeah. And the new king, Edward the Elder, has got a bit of a succession battle with another Saxon. And the other Saxon, Elthweard, links up with these Danes. Okay. So 
Edward the Elder is fighting to be King of Wessex. Yeah. With another Saxon. And yeah. the other Saxon uses uh, an alliance with the Danes to get some to fight Edward. Right. However, in 902, they are uh, defeated. So Yorick of East Anglia, a Danish king, is killed. Right. It's not going well for them, is it? And then in 910, Edward the Elder wipes out the Danish aristocracy in the Battle of Tetanol yeah. near Wolverhampton. And that's really it for that dynasty. In terms of the big important rulers, he's taken them out. Okay, so now, so, so what was between Scotland and the Anglo-Saxons mm. is now a bit of a vacuum. Oh. And the people who take advantage of this are the grandsons of Ivor the Boneless. Because they used oh. to be in York, and now they're coming back. So oh, there. Okay. The new chap is Ragnall. And so in 910, so the same year as Tetanol, mm. Ragnall comes in into York and makes himself king. Okay. So Easy now kick. we've got, exactly, we've got pagan Norse in York. Mm. So that's most of Northumbria then that is under Ragnall's rule. Mm. There's a little bit of the north in the sort of old kingdom of Benicia. We've got Bamber. Oh yeah, lovely castle. Well, we still got some Saxons and a man called Eldred until that is Ragnall kicks him out. Yeah, this is something a lot like the um, Bernard Cornwell series of books at the moment. Mm, the Alfred. Yeah, we well, just go into the Edward uh, reign at some point, doesn't it? Bernard, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah. let us know if you're based <laughs> on this. So Eldred kicked out. Where does he go? He goes to Constantine. Who is up north. Up north. Mm. Um, he asks him for assistance, which perhaps implies that Constantine is in some way recognised as overlord of this sort of northern part of right. Northumbria. Okay. So Constantine and uh, Eldred raise an army, come back down, and at Corbridge in 914 they fight Ragnall on the banks of the Tyne. Now, we've learned anything, never take on the Vikings. Well, on this occasion it doesn't go so well, and they right. are defeated mm -hmm. and pushed back. Ragnall at this point goes back to Ireland, loots Munster, for just for some as cash, you do, as you do, yeah. and then his brother uh, Citric Kite or Citric the Squinty, <laughs> do you think it? Uh, recaptures Dublin from because they've been kicked out by. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Norse are back in control of Dublin, mm. and they're also back in control of York. Oh, the worm is turning. So exactly. So they're strong again. Ragnall uh, comes back to Scotland, conducts a little raid in Dunblane, but then is pursued south by Constantine and Eldred. Mm. And they get back to Corbridge, exactly the same place they were before, yeah. four years ago, and fight another battle. Right. Now this time it's a bit more inconclusive. Both sides kind of claim victory. Mm. Ragnall is still ruler, but Constantine doesn't really lose any particular face. So it seems like maybe they both lose a lot and decide to come to a bit more of an accommodation and decide, right. okay... Let's just yeah. Let's just agree. To <laughs> let's agree to disagree. <laughs> agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah. Stabby, 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 stabby. Let's go home. And a particularly good reason for them to come to this uh, agreement mm -hmm. is the rise of Wessex. Yeah. Now we mentioned Edward the Elder just now kicking out the Danes. He's firmly established in Wessex and East Anglia with those various victories, and he's in alliance with his sister Ethelfled. Mm. who it becomes Lady of the Mercians. So she's effectively ruling another Saxon kingdom of Mercia. Did we cover her with um, the previous Yeah, series? so in Edward's episode, right, yeah. we would have covered her. And she, very powerful ruler as well, um, and particularly focused on the sort of western frontier, i.e. Wales, mm. and then sort of the Midlands, the five boroughs sort of Leicester, Derby, these yeah. sorts of places. And apparently she actually makes a defensive treaty with Constantine. And the Britons at Strathclyde. Okay. So basically, if the Vikings attack her, they'll come to her assistance, and if they attack the Vikings attack them, she'll come and help. So it's like uh, uh, the agreement between the French and the Russians in the uh, First World War. That if one's attacked, they'll yeah. kind of sandwich the Germans in the middle. Yeah. Mm, very good. She goes on to capture all of the five boroughs, and in 918, she's actually negotiating the submission of York, but she dies. Oh, they always do that. Just at the wrong time. wrong time. Her daughter succeeds over there, and Edward sweeps in and takes over. Okay, that's fine. Then. There's no problem. Cause There's no problem, because now all of Anglo-Saxon England is under one ruler. Is under Edward forward. the Elder. Yeah. Ragnall, having mm. uh, had his battle in Corbridge, comes south to re-secure York, mm -hmm. which has almost fallen. And then Edward establishes a burr at Bakewell. So sort of a fortress. So that's right up in Derbyshire, mm. the Peak District. So he's now got a base where she could really launch if he wants to go north. Mm. 
And what he does is strike a treaty with Constantine, Ragnald, Eldred and the Britons. He gets, so all of the players at this point are now together at this place. All come together and they basically agree the borders. Well, he sort of agrees separately with Ragnald. So with Constantine and Eldred and the Britons, they agree they won't enter into any alliance with the Vikings. But In uh, return for which their sort of territory is all respected and everything. Yeah, and it is the agreement that... Uh, what was her name? Ethelflaed. Ethelflaed had with Constantine. Does that still stand with between Constantine and Edward, that if one's attacked, the other does? Or this supersedes all It probably supersedes okay. that. Right. Um, and in turn, Ragnarold is probably, they agree, their borders, so his control of York, all that right. sort of stuff. Okay. Now, Ragnarold dies not too long after that, 920 mm. or 921, and he's replaced as king in York by Citric. We've heard of him. Citric the Squinty. Yes, right. Who yeah. took Dublin. Athelstan then comes to the English throne. Oh. 924, Edward the Elder dies. Mm. And Athelstan is a bit of a different breed. So we've had Wessex pushing up, pushing up. Mm. But Athelstan's got this sort of almost Roman vision of an imperial Britain. Doesn't he? He is, for um, new listeners, Rex Factor winner. So he actually has got ambitions. He wants to take York and he probably actually wants to basically take the whole of yeah. Britain, mm. Scotland, everyone. Initially, at Tamworth in 96, he makes a deal with Citric, the Viking in York, whereby Citric marries Athelstan's sister and is baptised. Right. And that, will that help? Well, yeah, because then he's a Christian, he's got a marriage alliance, you know, it okay. sort of yeah, yeah. means that those borders are secure. Mm. Citric renounces both of those quite soon after. <laughs> but he also dies in 927. Oh, God, this is endless death. So yet another, one of the grandsons of uh, either the Bonus comes along, Gothrith. Mm. But Athelstan isn't going to bother with this. So Athelstan storms into York, kicks Gothrith out. Before he has a chance to, before a chance to settle, and now Athelstan's control of York. But in all of this, the only constant, pardon the pun, is oh. Constantine. <laughs> well, indeed, and of course, what happens is that the Vikings and Constantine, having been fighting initially, are now thinking, oh, crikey, this guy's a bit of a yeah. threat. So they're now coming into... Closer alliance. In okay, ways. so they're, so they're coming to alliance because Constantine isn't then seeing the Vikings as foreign invader and working with an Anglo-Saxon because they're all different yeah. people. So they're all there's no difference for really for Constantine mm. if he gets attacked by Vikings or um, Athelstan. Okay, so he clearly doesn't see the Vikings as a threat, but he mm. sees them as a potential ally right. against the greater threat that is Athelstan. So indeed. Just like Eldred, ten years earlier, Gosfrith and his son Olaf mm. flee to Constantine from Athelstan. So the Vikings are now running away to, to Scotland to right. look after them. Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? It is rather strange. Yeah. Not very Viking-y. No. No, I just can't imagine that. <laughs> weird. Uh, and Athelstan isn't too happy about this alliance. Um, so he calls for a meeting at a place called Amont Bridge in 97, which is in Penrith. Mm. So he uh, gets Constantine, Owen of Cumbria, Eldred of Bamber, and also uh, Hewaldar of Wales. It's this very powerful rule in Wales. Right. So they all come together. As ref? Well, no, he's just a, a, another powerful person in Britain. They all come together uh, in Penrith and agree to renounce idolatry. Oh, right. That's the most pressing topic, was it? Well, I think what he basically means by that is don't make alliances with pagan Vikings. Right. Okay. So he's basically saying, everything's going to be fine between us as long as you don't make friends with the Vikings. Yeah. He also wants them to hand over um, Gothrith and Olaf, but uh, quite conveniently they escape shortly before this peace conference. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and tensions do... Oh, and he also he stands as godfather for Constantine's son, Olaf. Uh, sorry, Athelstan. Athelstan. Yeah. So, so his tensions are, are good here, do you think? This, at the moment, this is kind of good. It's a treaty again, a sort of mm. agreement. But the tensions become worse because, obviously, we haven't handed over Gothrith. Mm. And uh, when Gothrith dies and is replaced uh, by Olaf Gothrithson, his son... Well, Gothrith's dead now. Gothrith's dead. Yeah. So his son, Olaf Gothrithson, is now the leading Viking. Right. And, and he's already—he's not in Scotland because his dad's already escaped, and that's done. Yes, yeah, so he was with his dad, fled right. to Scotland. He marries Constantine's daughter. Oh, Constantine then is really—he's—he's he's in trouble here. If he's—if he, Athelstan was going to be his god, his son's godfather, wasn't he? Mm. 
Why is he doing this? Well, because Athelstan is this imperial force that's ultimately going to try and take them all over, and Constantine. But, but, the, but the Vikings don't have any power here. Side with the with the. Well, they're one. kind of they're in. They've got power in Ireland. Remember, so right. they're in Dublin and York. So they've lost York, but they've still got a base in Dublin. Oh, I think he's backing the wrong horse here. Mind you, I have always backed the Vikings whenever we've been talking about this <laughs> Yeah. So, Athelstan isn't too happy about this. So, in 934, he raises a huge army, storms into Scotland. So, he goes as far north as Dunatar by land, and then by sea. So he's mm. got a navy going around as well, possibly as far north as Caithness. Oh, yeah, he had a navy, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Listen to Rex Factor episode, Athelstan. Yes. Um, which is the first English invasion of Scotland. Right. Good fact. Good fact. Um, so Constantine is forced to come to terms and submit. Mm. So he does. So he isn't conquered as such, but he is forced to acknowledge Athelstan as his overlord. Okay, because it had been really impressive battle, mm. uh, battling this for Constantine. So Constantine is forced to come to terms, he submits to Athelstan, accompanies himself, witnesses a charter in Buckingham. Mm. Witnessing charters is quite a cool thing that Athelstan likes to do in terms of all these other kings and sub-kings because the fact that he's at the top and then they sign below him is just a sort of indicator of the pecking oh, order. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Just to, so to provide your signature as a witness or it immediately yeah. puts you beneath him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, then it's Sirencester the following year in 935 uh, the witness another charter and Sirencester's sort of old Roman town they still at that point had lots of, sort of Roman buildings mm. and amphitheatre and stuff around so probably there was quite a big public ceremony with a real imperial show of them having to submit and apples down looking all high and mighty. Wow. And cool. this sort of stuff. Um, so probably Constantine's thinking this this has got to stop. There's clearly a threat from Athelstan, and the 934 invasion showed just how powerful Athelstan could be mm. if he musters all of his troops. And Constantine, on his own, obviously doesn't have a strong no. enough army to do all this. So he makes a much more formal and purposeful alliance with the Vikings. I I can't understand these actions. Like everything's fine now. He's witnessed the charter. What's wrong? He's witnessed the charter, but he's witnessed the charter. He's sort of, he's totally under Athelstan's thumb, and he's at threat because we've had all these treaties before. But Athelstan is clearly just wanting to go forwards. Okay. You know, if we think of the sort of 1930s, yeah. I'm thinking, look, we've signed this treaty. <laughs> Everything's fine now. Just leave him. He's I happy. have in my hand exactly. a piece of paper. Exactly. From Athelstan. Exactly. I think. Do you think that's the first time Athelstan's ever been compared to Hitler? Possibly. As a Rex first be there, listeners. <laughs> so, he makes formal alliance with Olaf because yeah. he needs help. He needs more troops. Mm. And they need to do something about Athelstan before he just becomes unstoppable. Yeah. So. Her Athelstan. Indeed. And so we've got Olaf Guthrumson, who's uh, in Ireland. We've also got Owen, who's king in sort of Cumbria, or sort of old Strathclyde, so the Britons. Right, yeah. They're still about, are they? They're still mm-hmm. about. Okay. Um, he's witnessing charters as well. So we've got the three of them who are all preparing to do something about it. Now, Olaf has been quite busy in Ireland with um, rival Vikings in Limerick, but in 937 he finally achieves dominance. Mm-hmm. And he pops back over to England with about 600 vessels. We're ready. He wants York, does he? We want the showdown. He wants York. Uh, so you've got revenge for how his father was kicked out. He wants to get York back, so he's got that Dublin-York axis going on. And Constantine wants to halt Athelstan's advance, defeat him, and also maintain York as this kind of buffer. Buffer, yeah. So he's having to use the Vikings as as, exactly. a, as, as a Poland. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So we come to a battle of Brunenburg. Oh, very good. Epic battle, probably involving tens of thousands of people, said to have fought all day from dawn to dusk. Mm. Five sort of kings or princes and seven earls are killed, mm. including Con- one of Constantine's own sons is killed in this battle. And ultimately, it is a victory for Athelstan. Yeah. And the Allied leaders are all forced to retreat. Mm. Yeah, not good. It was started so well. In 839, just two years later, Athelstan dies. Mm. So, um, before any of his other rivals. So they all actually outlive him, even though they lose the battle. But the outcome of that ba- battle has... There's, there's time to implement his overlordship over these people who he's beaten. Well, or maybe there isn't, because actually what happens is that um, Athelstan's replaced by his younger brother Edmund, mm. and Olaf Guthrie just pops back, and in 914-41, does a bit of a blitzkrieg, Mm. and recaptures the five boroughs in York. 
And then Edmund has to make a deal with Olaf. God, it's so fluid. Isn't it? All the people that have to die just to yeah. get things back to how they were ten years ago. So in a way, actually, all of Athelstan's sort of empire building mm. has kind of all been undone mm. immediately on his death. Mm. So in a funny way, Constantine's now like, well, Olaf's there in York again, and I'm still up here sitting pretty, and actually it kind of all worked out. Yeah, I mean, it's where we were... When I was saying, well, everything's fine, what's the problem? But without Athelstan, I suppose, is the key mm. thing. Without yeah. the actual threat. Yeah. So, this has all been going on. Mm. But Constantine is now getting to how he is in the card, really, and getting to be mm. an old man. And in 943, Constantine abdicates. What? He abdicates the this throne. Is, this is brand new for X Factor. Hmm. Apart from Edward VIII. <laughs> Apart from the <laughs> abdication crisis. Yes, he abdicates. Possibly pressured by his successor, who was thinking, seriously, when are you going to die? I want to be king. His <laughs> name wasn't Charles, wasn't it? It was not. Oh, it okay. was, uh, possibly worn down by Brunenburg and all these years of fighting. Yeah. But what he does is he goes to St Andrews and becomes uh, an abbot. Right. Caldee's Monastery. Okay. And uh, just That's lives it. out his days as a monk. How long does he live... Well, he actually lives for another nine years, so it's not until 952 that Constantine actually dies. How old does that make him? He must be at least in his 70s, if not 80s. Yeah, if he was born in the 70s of the previous century. Mm. Yeah. Wow, okay. So, 952, Constantine II dies, having abdicated in 943. Okay. Quite a life and quite a reign. Yeah, very good, actually, mm. really. Mm. So, how is it all going to stack up? Well, let's find out. Battleliness! So, mm. we have some obvious successes. Yeah. 904, he defeats the Vikings. Yeah, th- is this the first proper victory we've had by the Scots of the Vikings? So, Constantine I, his uncle, had a victory of sorts but ultimately wasn't but it's probably like a little skirmish where one of the leaders died and it seemed quite impressive but otherwise really this is the first victory yeah it's the first victory in what seems like a more of a pitched battle yeah and a definite outcome one way or the other this is what we get from the uh, fragmentary annals Mm. if you do have fragmentary annals there are (laughs) numbers you can call (laughs) this is what the men of Scotland did both clergy and laymen they continue till morning fasting and praying to God and to Columseal, or Columba, mm. if we recall, and shouting loudly to the Lord. And they promised to do every good thing according to the best instructions of their priests, and that Columba's staff should be their standard in front of every battle. This staff was therefore called Cathbuid, or victory in battle, from that time onwards. And if we refer back to yeah. our picture... Constantine Second's got a staff. Right, okay. You might assume that this is effectively a relic. It's Columbus' staff. It's a lucky staff. So these artists really did their research, didn't exactly. they? Exactly. Yeah, no trousers on Donald, staff <laughs> with Constantine, spot on. Thereupon the battle was fought hardily and actively, which is the best way to fight any yeah, battle. Uh, yeah, it really is. The Scots got great victory and triumph, and the Scandinavians routed, were slain in great numbers. Scandinavians? I didn't know they'd refer to as that. Well, it's maybe slightly later mm, source. But this is, as I say, it's a major victory, first real victory against the Vikings. And we don't actually have a Viking attack on Scotland in Constantine's reign after that. Yeah, he's sort of more active, isn't he? He's yeah, actually, so he's actually pushing south yeah. to Ragnall. So actually, that's it in a way. This one battle, poof, problem yeah, they solved. And then try it again. That's and we very think, good. And we think to his namesake, Constantine I, and all the kingdoms falling and Constantine just keeping his head down trying to make them throw sausages in his neighbor's oh, yards yeah, yeah was Constantine he's using the sausages to strangle people exactly with, yeah. so that's a pretty good start 918 we had the second battle of Corbridge with Ragnall mm. which was the one which is a bit uncertain Ragnall has got four battalions four Viking battalions but he keeps the fourth one that he leads hidden right so Constantine and the Scots Route the first three, but then Ragnar comes in with the fourth one, and they're all behind. A bit tired. And it's an ambush; mm. they're not seeing it coming. So the Chronicle of the Kings of Alba describes it as a Scottish victory. Mm. The Historia de Sancto Cuthberto mm. um, says that the Scots are routed. Oh, I'd have thought that'd been the other. So they'd been rewriting history and saying this Scots one. Well, so I think probably what happens is that we see that ultimately the Annals of Ulster said night caused the battle to be broken off. And that although the men of Alba 
um, were attacked and made a slaughter of them. They did not lose a king or Mormor or mm. Earl. So effectively, we've got a battle that's kind of fights all day and then they have to stop because it gets dark. How does that happen, though? <laughs> no, the actual practicality guys, of that. Guys, guys. Yeah. Like a referee at cricket. Yeah, so, yeah, no, he's well. done his like me turn and they will just walk off. What do they sort of start edging backwards until they can't find their <laughs> swords anymore? And then... I mean, I mean that's a genuine question. question. How does that how, work? How do you actually stop a battle for bad light? Yeah, when you're both fighting to the death, mm. any sign of backing off would just be leapt on by the other person, wouldn't it? I, I just can't understand that. However it happens, it does happen. So it sounds like the Scots initially take out a lot of the Vikings, but then the Vikings come back, take a lot of the Scots, mm. and then they carry on fighting and then it gets too dark. Mm. So it's probably an inconclusive battle. Okay, a Jutland. A Jutland, but... It, yeah, and it's, a, and it's a Jutland where, from the Scottish perspective, you can say, well, OK, Ragnar's still there, but Constantine's maintained his position. Yeah. And he's also maintained this sense that the battle is being fought all the way down here. Mm. And probably neither of them are strong enough after that to invade the other. So, in a sense, if his goal is to maintain a kind of influence in the area and keep the Vikings away... And yeah, he's achieved his objective, yeah. He's kind of achieved yeah. his objective. But what he's also doing a lot of the time is quite sort of crafty meddling yeah, and alliances. So it's significant, as you said, the fact that Eldred comes north to Constantine mm. asking for help against Ragnald. Mm. So this implies that, A, Constantine is more powerful and thus recognised as a prominent figure. Yeah. But also that Constantine's quite happy to uh, get involved and sort of mess around. So at this yeah. point, he's linking up with the Northumbrians or the Venetians against the Vikings. And then when he sees that the Vikings actually aren't the threat in his Athelstan, mm. he then starts making alliances with the Vikings instead. He's a bit tricky character, isn't he? Mm. I'm surprised that the Vikings trusted him. Well, I guess he didn't have any choices, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but what this means is that he basically keeps Scotland safe and secure. So mm. apart from that raid in 934 by Athelstan, mm. basically the fighting is always further south. Yeah, it's very good, isn't it? It's just like his um, uncle. Was it his uncle, Constantine the First? Yeah, well, and Kenneth McAlpin's quite crafty as well. Yeah. Fish wings and... <laughs> and just keeping it all at, at arm's length. Yeah. And unfortunately, it didn't quite work out for Constantine the First. But, oh yeah, it's very good. Well, it's interesting because I was listening to that episode earlier this week and you and I was saying how, you know, in a way it's good tactics because, you know, he puts the sausages in the back garden as yeah. Strathclyde. Yeah. And you said... That's still a bit close for comfort. Really, what you want is for it to be going much down south and have some kind of buffer in York. Oh, really? It's exactly what Constantine's doing. He's making these alliances and meddling in affairs so that the conflict is always sort of one state yeah. south between him and the problem. Well, he's doing very well. I mean, he's doing my, my suggestion. Well done. Exactly. However, there are, and it's a funny thing with Constantine, there are also quite a lot of setbacks mm. and negatives in battliness, despite all of this. We have some treaties with Wessex, which imply his submission to the kings. Yeah. So 920 at Bakewell with Edward the Elder, um, it lists all of the various kings that come together um, and says that they chose Edward as father and lord. Right, that's I, pretty powerful. Edward's the top dog, mm. and we will all agree to what he says. Then at Aymond Bridge with Athelstan in 927, all the people gather together... Um, and they established peace with pledges and oaths in the place and renounced all idolatry and afterwards departed in peace. But it starts, he brought under his rule all the kings in this island. So again, under his rule, mm. Athelstan is the top dog and he brings them to him. Mm. Yeah, so he is, he is um, almost a subject at that point, mm. isn't he? And then, of course, in 934, 935, after Athelstan's invasion, he's witnessing other charters. Yeah. However... We could say that this is perhaps just a bit of Anglo-Saxon propaganda. And it's a bit like his uh, uncle. It's all part of the bigger plan. Mm. It's actually 920 Bakewell, Edward the Elder, there's no way that he can have realistic hopes of dominating Scotland. No, Athelstan was a threat, but not Athelstan. There's no way that Edward can do that, so it's much more likely to be a peace treaty. Right, yeah. And just agreeing not to meddle and get yeah. in each other's way. Mm. So they describe it, the Saxons describe it as 
a victory and a sort of saying, oh yes, we are dominant, but in reality it's probably a, just a peace treaty. Right. And even 97 and Athelstan, you could argue, okay, he's a bit stronger, but at this point it's probably still this sort of frontier peace deal. So it's only really Sirencester, sort of mm. 934, 935, where he is properly submitted and sort of bowing his head and having to be a bit humiliated. But he, but he doesn't lose that head. Exactly. And Scotland continues. Mm. It's pretty good. And he has the second name on the list after Appleston, so he's ahead is of he? all the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something. No, I think it's rather good. And yeah. uh, one of the historians uh, that I read was sort of wondering whether or not he would have enjoyed it, and he thought, well, the food was probably good. <laughs> what is, it? is that why he's running face here? <laughs> More serious is the invasion of 934. Not good. So, um, as Chronicle of Melrose says, in the year 934, King Athelstan wasted Scotland as far as Dunatar and Wirtmoors with a land army, and with a naval army as far as Caithness. Big, big army. Constantine has to submit afterwards, and it's a big show of force, and it's a big show of who is... Really the boss. Yeah, really yeah, boss. Yeah. Um, however, there are some attempts to craft mm. elements of positivity from this. The annals of uh, Clon MacNoise said that Athelstan, King of Saxons, prayed and spoiled the Kingdom of Scotland to Edinburgh, and yet the Scottish men compelled him to return without any great victory. Really? Well, because Constantine doesn't actually fight him. He just sort of says, all right, that's enough, come on then, let's go to Sirencester. Oh, true, yeah, there was no big battle, was there? It was mm. just, it was Athelstan having the run of the place, and Constantine said, watch it, oh, I'm right, okay. So it's almost a bit like the Romans, where they sort of storm off to conquer Scotland, and then the Scots just don't come Pitch. into open battle. Yeah. And eventually they have to make a bit of a deal, and then get bored and go home again. It's a good tactic, isn't it? Mm. It's like disappearing up into the, into the mountains and yeah. melting away. And it's probable that actually Athelstan ever meant more than a show of force. Mm. Couldn't have hoped to rule Scotland at this point. Right. That would have just been beyond him. But the biggie, of course, is Brunanburh. Mm. Battle of Brunanburgh in 937. Still nobody actually knows where it was. Brunanburgh. Well, yeah, but where was Brunanburh? <laughs> There's lots of debate about it, whether it's in the Mersey, the Midlands, or maybe in southwest Scotland. But as we said, it was very hard fighting. The Annals of Ulster described it as a great battle, lamentable and terrible. Ooh, nice. Um, it was still known generations later as the Great Battle. Yeah. And we've got all these various chronicles and sagas talking of the bloodbath and corpses and animals feeding on this multitude of dead. Surprising that that hasn't been found then if it was such a big site. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but certainly what happens is that Constantine, Olaf and Owen are defeated and mm. put to flight. Yeah. Athelstan wins the battle. Constantine's own son is killed and a few years later he abdicates. Mm. Which doesn't seem good. And the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle doesn't say much about a lot of Athelstan's reign, but it dedicates this great big poem to really sort of celebrate the victory at Brunanburh. Right. And it lords it somewhat over Constantine. They oh, pick him no. out. So also the old one fled away to his northern country, Constantine, hoary battle man. <laughs> hoary meaning grey. Oh, no, right. no. He need not boast of the meeting of swords. He was severed from kin, deprived of friends on that field, slain at war and left his son on the death ground, destroyed by his wounds young at war. He need have no proud words, the white-haired warrior, the wily one. Well, he certainly is wily, isn't he? <laughs> I think, um, well, as damning as that is, it's sort of maybe the fact that they go to such bother. Yeah. Shows that he was the um, he was the main enemy. Well, exactly, it's kind of a compliment that he's mm. basically identified as Athelstan's sort of bet noir, isn't he? Yeah, and what he goes home to the same amount of territory. Yeah, Big exactly, wild. and that's the thing. Very heavy casualties on both sides. So actually, it's likely that Athelstan probably incurred too much damage to be able to really push on and mm. oversee his dominance. So actually, he doesn't get an awful lot of material benefit. He gets the glory. Yeah, but there's not an awful lot he can really do with it. He certainly couldn't repeat nine three four. And no. storming up to Cape Ness. You know, just sort of wagged his finger, so, so there! And, mm. oh, and then lived <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I said, we've got survival. Constantine, Olaf, and Owen are the three main leaders. They survive the battle and they outlive Athelstan. Yeah. And with the same territory, and he's got this buffer. Exactly. By the end of it. Anyway. And Constantine, he's the oldest of the three, he's the father in law of Olaf. 
Quite a lucky oh, yeah, person, yeah. because he married to his daughter. Um, he's probably the senior party room in this alliance. He's an old man at this point, you know, in his sort of 60s. Mm. But he's formed this alliance. Um, biggest battle for centuries. And, as you said, significant. The fact that he's picked out by an Anglo-Saxon chronicle and indicates mm. Mm. how important he's he is. He's definitely the, the... I mean, it's, I think it's clear that Athelstan is the top dog. Yeah. I don't think we needed the battle to prove it. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, it does show that Constantine is the next on the list. I mean, mm. literally, in the case of some of <laughs> these witnesses. Yeah. But um, but he, d- he, I mean, he puts up a good defence, being the second most powerful. He does. And he doesn't lose anything. Exactly. And it's impressive, actually, in the ninth cent- in, sorry, 10th century, actually creating this alliance where you've got the Vikings coming over from Ireland... It's quite advanced diplomacy yeah. and organisation, really, and actually are able to fight, and there's a great big epic battle. But then there are these epic battles that we haven't seen yet, really. Exactly. It's a proper battle. And he wins some of them, he defeats the Viking. I like him. So it's funny, where even though in some ways he has a lot of setbacks, even his setbacks are quite good because they're still doing this buffer job. Exactly, yeah, he could lose the battle, but wound his enemy badly enough to ensure mm. that it won't happen again for another ten years. Exactly. Or whatever, and not lose the territory mm, and he's not fighting on his own doorstep yeah it's good a score well, I'm, I'm, very mm. I'm, so, I'm very <laughs> impressed I'm very impressed it's going to be about five yeah. um, how have we pitched this so far what other mm. ones have we had above five well the problem I mean we Constantine the first well I mean he got over five combined yeah. but actually the only one who's got combined i.e. over ten is Kenneth McAlpin with um, with fourteen so we had Donald, who was said to be a vigorous soldier, but we didn't have any examples. Yeah. Constantine doing that cautious game. Well, what did we give Constantine? Uh, well, he got a total of six and a half. Oh, he's got more than that. <laughs> um, but, uh, what? So a lot of Kenneths was coming from... Um, Stuff that potentially didn't actually happen. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this guy. Hmm. I, think, I think he had a strategy, hmm. and I think that strategy worked, and he was able to uh, go off into retirement. Yeah. So I am going to give him a seven. Oh, I was going six point five. I'm going to go seven. Mm. To, I need somewhere to go though. Mm. Um, if so, and what's what's Ken? Fourteen. Mm. I'm going to give him seven, just in case you go down. No, I, I was thinking seven as well because it's. I think you, you can't go higher than seven because he does lose Brunenberg, yeah. even though it's weirdly a good loss because yeah. fighting it was more important than winning it. Good, yeah, good point. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, and actually, all of his defeats are kind of those we think. Well, actually, just the fact that he's fighting it and he's fighting where he is mm. is good enough. Mm. But to really get the big high score, you know, he needs to win the great big epic battle. And he does deserve a high score for for the stuff that happened ages ago. Yeah. We've got he came in by force. Yeah, and, it was good and wiped out the Vikings. Vikings, yeah. Oh, it's a definite seven for me. Mm. Yeah, and I think seven for me as well. Mm. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. So that's a fourteen. For battleiness. He's on par. He's on par for the victory so far. Scandal. Oh, let, can I just... There we go. <laughs> well, I don't know if you will. Um, That's the problem. Wink. Yeah, I'll take <laughs> um, So we've got Athelstan a bit upset with him um, for making these alliances with pagan Vikings. Hence, yeah. 927, that he forces him to renounce all idolatry. Mm. And the fact that he then has himself as godfather to Constantine's son almost implies well almost implies that it hasn't been baptised before or that it's been too long or that there's some kind of doubt mm. about just how committed to the Christian stuff Constantine really is Yeah, but I mean he, actually he is pretty devout so I think that's just again Athelstan in the sources yeah, yeah it's not much is realistically. it realistically he breaks his pledges so he keeps saying, oh yeah, it's fine, I won't interfere, and then he keeps on interfering and making these sneaky alliances. It's just part of his plan though, isn't it? It's, oh, I don't think there's much there. So he's got a wily plan, he's making his alliances, he's marrying his daughter to uh, a pagan Viking. Yeah. But it's not that saucy, there's no bedroom antics, no particular murder, and Athelstan had made a marriage alliance earlier with... Um, Citric, the squinty. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't see anything there, Graham. Uh, I don't mind about yeah. that stuff. Mm. No, nothing for me. I don't. I don't think we can really give 
give him anything at all. Oh dear, that is very important. Is that the first zero of this one? Oh no. No, we've had a. Uh, who had an. Oh, hashtag, yeah. Hashtag and So that's a zero for scandal. Subjectivity. So he's a bit up and down at the moment. I thought this would be quite a big score, though, this one, surely. Well, exactly. So how's he going to do here? Would you have wanted to be a subject? Mm. There's a lot of plus points. Yes, certainly is. We've got some peace and stability. Yeah. So as we say, remember from what he said earlier, the last four monarchs in Scotland have all been killed. Yeah, and now we've got this guy who's lo- ruling so long. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we've had Constantine the first surrounded and plundered by the Vikings, who were just running yeah. amok. Hmm. So it's all pretty difficult up to that point. But as the fragments, uh, fragmentary annals said mm-hmm. after the victory in 904, it was long after this before Danes or Norwegians attacked the Scots and they enjoyed peace and tranquility. I mean, yeah, and that's all uh, a yeah, standard Scot at this time could really have hoped for after yeah. all that chaos. I mean, they don't want the NHS... Mm. They just want not to be hacked to pieces by Vikings, yeah. surely. And that's what he provides. No mm. more hacking to pieces by Vikings in the Lovely. rain. Um, the prophecy of Birken, which is the um, retrospective prophecy, if we recall. Oh, yeah. It's written yeah, much later. Yeah. All in a sort of verse format. It's very praising of uh, Constantine. It paints this picture of a really happy, contented nation. Mm. My joy, my joy, if it be he, long is the prophecy... King of kings, tis no rash saying, whose name is the Midheis. Alban was brimful from his day. His was the fair long reign. He was just, competent to battle, seven years and two score, with fruits on slender trees, with ale, with music, with fellowship, with corn, with milk, with actine keen, with pride, with success, with elegance. Why did they start listing all the fruit there? Because, um... Good harvest, things are growing, it's oh, happy, they've got food, okay. they've got peace. Yeah, it's having really a good, lovely time. Aren't they? Um, 906. Yeah. Schoon. Yeah. Schoon will, of course, become famous as where the Scottish monarchs are crowned yeah. and have their coronations. Mm. So that's sort of the block of stone. And it's possible that it's this meeting, which is almost the beginning of this place, as this sort of central public ceremonial area. So it's after all of the divisions, after the Viking attacks and then his victory in 904, Chronicle of the Kings of Alba says, King Constantine and Bishop Calac vowed that the laws and teachings of the faith and the rights of the churches and gospels to be protected equally with the Scots on the Hill of Credulity near to the royal city of Schoon. From that day the hill earned its name, that is, the Hill of Credulity. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So Calac is the chief representative of the church, Possibly appointed by Girik, some historians have thought. Oh, right. And Girik was the one him. who assassinated Ayat. So this ceremony may represent a healing of old wounds. Yeah. So possibly that had continued under Donald Train. That's very, that's very good, isn't it? Not to, you know, to try and bring sides together. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it also marks a new start. It's, as we said, Alba as a term for mm. Scotland rather than just... Picks, Gales, etc. Yeah. It's quite new. Yeah. So this is almost like the acknowledgement of the birth of the new country. The church and the king are working together. That's huge, isn't it? Defeated. And he's got all these years, lest we forget. Exactly. And Schoon is now this centre, a sort of royal yeah. ceremonial. Very good. Very strong. So this is a church becoming a key part of the state from Schoon. Um, Constantine establishes St Andrews as this new chief bishopric for the kingdom and supports this sort of flourishing coldy monastic order. And we also have a lot of state development as well with the Mormons. The Mormons? Mormons, which I may be pronouncing wrong. Right. Um, They're first mentioned in 918 in that second battle of Corbridge because the source says that none of them die. Right. Brilliant. So what are they? Well, formerly they're probably independent sub-kings. So sort of rulers of small bits of territory. Oh, you did say Mormons, yeah, and you mm. referred to them as dukes or something, or barons. Yes, yeah, so they now mm. become maybe some kind of like earldoms or yeah. a sort of ruling provinces for Constantine. Right. So it's a bit more of a centrally administrative structure. Yeah. Um, so we've got church and state mm. in place. And these sort of new changes that he brings in is actually pretty much how the state operates for the next few hundred years. Yeah, we didn't have any sense of that with the previous ones. Any mm. level of sort of national organisation like that. But he got a bit of structure now. Yeah. A bit of an organisation. So it is effectively the creation of Scotland. Yeah, with Alba. 
with Albert. And his, his long reign gives time for that stability to take root. Exactly, crucial after all the chopping mm. and changing before. It's the first time that the words Scotland and Scots are used in English sources. Right. To describe this period. So at the Treaty of Bakewell, they say the, the Scottas, the Scots. Also the first treaty between England and Scotland and the first war and invasions between the two. So it's the two countries both come into being, really, in this period. Yeah, with Athelstan. With Athelstan. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. He's, he is like a um, Scottish Athelstan, actually. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Yeah. It's funny the way they both come to the fore at the same yeah. time. They give each other bloody noses and yeah. not much changes. And so we've got the territorial integrity because he gets rid of the Vikings and then makes sure the battles are all fought away from Scotland so mm. it stays secure. And we've got identity with Schoon, the church, the state, resisting English imperialism, mm. all this sort of stuff. It's very good, Graham. Mm. I'm, I'm leaning towards an incredibly high score here. Against him? Yeah. We did have the Vikings raiding and plundering in 903, but I think we'll give him, let him off there because he does kill them all the following yeah, year. Yeah, he sorts that out, yeah. We do also have 934 when Athelstan storms in, and he probably does a bit of raiding and plundering and damage. That's a very, well, not small, but that is a blot on an otherwise incredibly clean copybook. Isolated incident. Yeah, um, and he, he lets him get, he's wiser, and he let him mm. get on with it, said <laughs> alright, and then mm. had the big battle, which insists. Far south. Yeah, far south, and it didn't happen again. I think it's good. One thing I wasn't quite sure what to think about was the actual abdication and what this tells us about his reign. I think it's good, though. Doesn't it show that it's, it's stable enough that he can just pass it on mm. um, rather than coming to a sticky end or dying? Or yeah, and rather than Malcolm who succeeds him, rather than him fighting mm. for the throne and then falling back into the division, it's better that he moves on. Yeah, he knows he's got it to a point where he's happy. Onwards, next one. I'm going to go and... Eat cheese in a church, whatever exactly. it is. Exactly, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> cheese in a church. Um, it's possible Malcolm sort of pushes him into that um, line of work to maybe try and neutralise him. <laughs> line of work. <laughs> that cheesy job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is what John of Forden says. Yeah. Constantine, inspired by the grace of God's mercy, and understanding clearly that all earthly things were subject unto vanity, vacated the throne and made room for Malcolm, son of Donald, to reign. But I mean, it's, I don't, can't see it as a bad thing. And Prophecy of Birkin, afterwards God did call him to the monastery on the brink of the waves. In the house of apostle he came to death. Undefiled was the pilgrim. Undefiled by what? Was the pilgrim. Oh, right. Um... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I can't. I think this is a massive score. There's also another way of looking at it. He, he may have just wanted to take stock of a pretty eventful life, mm. but also because he boosted the standing of the church. Maybe he wanted to get involved in that. And he just become an abbot. It's yeah. almost a way that he can still have a little bit of a political role. True. Yeah. Chronicle of Kings of Alba, probably incorrectly, but nevertheless, actually states that in the Malcolm's reign that there's a raid on England or mm. on Northumbria, which is either encouraged by um, Constantine mm. or maybe even he comes out of retirement for a week and leads another raid really well, certainly probably doesn't but that nevertheless gives the impression that he's not he's necessarily not. just quietly there yeah he's, probably he's just eating the cheese I reckon writing um, his memoirs mm. Constantine Constant oh no Constantine not in my backyard <laughs> or something like that <laughs> the Sausage Chronicles not in my backyard um, have they been found yet the Sausage Chronicles uh, we haven't yet come okay. across them if you've got them, that's no. That is no. So, what are you thinking for subjectivity? Big, really big. Mm. Um, I honestly don't know how you get a better score. Uh, what could, well, I mean, I suppose we don't. I mean, it's a, such a long time ago. I suppose you wasn't. I suppose we don't really have much in terms of only culture, culture, art, yeah. or other than that sort of upholding the laws of the church and stuff. We don't really have much about law and order or justice or kind of the state of the nation, other than not being hacked up by Vikings. Well, we've got that, um, we've got that schoon yeah. business where we're starting to see some high-level organisation that will allow that to happen later. I think, I, I suppose it's impossible at the time for them to even be thinking about commissioning a lovely painting in a church or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and maybe that's what he was going to do when yeah. he was in the church. He just got distracted by the cheese. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? Mm. But, um... <laughs> I think for the time it's as good as it can get it's establishing the nation yeah and not having that fighting Vikings. on the doorstep mm. 
keeping everyone at bay, fighting when necessary. I'm going to go nine. Whew, that is high. It's mm-hmm. a biggie. I like him. I'm going to go slightly lower, mm. but still high. I'm giving him an eight. Yeah. Just because I think it is. There is a lot of battling, and actually, you do have to have people fighting those battles, I suppose. Mm. So it's not that everybody is completely free yeah. from conflict. So I think to get right up to a 9 and 10, I'd maybe need a bit more of either culture or maybe in this period, starts of laws Ooh. and stuff like that. Because in England, Alfred, Athelstan, yeah, they do do on the law codes as well as the battling. Um, yeah, I've left off the one. I've given that space. I'm happy with the nine. So that's a 17 for subjectivity. Very impressive. Who's come closest to him? Oh, no one. Well, he's way out in front. Yeah. Longevity. Well, I mean, this is blows the others yeah, way out absolutely. of the park. 900 to 943. Yeah. Don't have any months. So that's 43 years. That's big, isn't it? That's big for now. Um, which is a score of 14.91. Wow. That's that's way the highest yet, isn't it? I mean, it's quite probable that few of his predecessors even lived 43 years, let alone yeah. ruled. Yeah, that's, that says a lot, doesn't it? And you think he lives for another nine years as well. So yeah, if only he'd have done that. That would have made up for his um, rubbish scandal showing. But still, good stuff. Mm. Dynasty, not the programme. He has two known surviving children. Because one got it, didn't he? Because mm. one son's got it at Brunenburg. Um, I say two known surviving. We don't know if the daughter that married Olaf survives or not, but I don't know that she died, so... Okay, we can be sure of two. Yeah. Definitely the son, other son survived. So that's two children, which is a score of 4.44. Is that any good? Well, that gives him a total score of 50.36, Ooh. which just naps him ahead of Kenneth McAlpin. So that is currently our top score. So where did Kenneth get all his score? Oh, he got a lot in Scandal, he didn't he? Scandal. Oh, he had the wings. Yeah. He didn't have, He had the wings. He did. So that's the top score, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything when we come to our final consideration. Does Constantine II have that certain something, that mark of greatness, that legacy, that, that star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Can I, I'm going to put my cards on the table straight away. Okay. I think you know where I am. Mm-hmm. Yes. I really think so. He's got, after all those years of chaos and anarchy, he's got this big, long reign of stability. And at all the, when battle is for, he's, he, all his focus is pushing it away. Mm-hmm. You've got forging of the nation. Yeah. You've got the start of some sort of high-level uh, state and church organisation. It's very, very good. Very good. And he defeats the Vikings. He does defeat the Vikings. Good grief. I mean, come on. What else can you do, poor chap? Well, you could have sex with a few nuns, but... No. Mm. It's funny, because when I was putting the notes together, and I was sort of, I just got quite a long lots of events in the biography, mm. and I was thinking, oh, and you kind of just read it like this. It does just sound like he's losing all the time. Yeah. So I was thinking, I'm not sure what you're going to make of him. Mm. So I was kind of thinking... What I'm just going to do is, I'm not going to do the pros and cons. I'm just going to come straight out and say, well, I'm all for him. Oh, really? But let me convince you. Right. But okay. I don't need to convince you. The only thing, really, I think, which is an argument against Constantine II and the Rex Factor is Athelstan. Yeah. It is the sense that there's someone bigger and stronger who does lord it over him. Well, yes, although, having said that, I, I think he is the Scottish Athelstan, mm. and at the same time, does give him a bloody nose mm-hmm. and doesn't the borders don't change he still maintains that buffer it's a little to me like um, our old friend the penguin William III versus uh, Louis XIV yeah. yeah and does stand up to him and he was a Rex winner mm-hmm. exactly. um, yeah I know I don't, I don't think he I think he, do, he does so much from so little mm. And if Constantine the Second, there's another second one. If Constantine the Second isn't worthy of the Rex Factor in this period, then it's going to be pretty hard. Yeah. For any other marks, so I'm a yes as well. Yeah. So that's a yes for Constantine. He Yay. has the Rex Factor. Yay. Well done, Constantine the Second. You join Kenneth McAlpin. You can help him find his dog. Yeah. Uh, at the top of the Scottish Rex Factor mountain. So well done to Constantine the Second. We have our second Rex Factor winner of the series. Brilliant. I thought he was great. He, what, he Why is he two of diamonds? I don't know. <laughs> That's hopeless. Misleading. Mm. What was Ken? Came out. He might have been. He was probably an ace, wasn't he? 
came out getting all the glory. Well, that's why we do this, though, isn't it? Exactly, and that's the thing. Like, I think Neil Oliver said that Kenneth McAlpin is the one that gets the credit as the first King of Scots, but he's more of a opportunistic warlord. Mm. Constantine is the one that actually, on the ground, really... Oh, Neil Oliver thinks he's yeah, the he's one that really sets right. up. Yeah, and he gets a lot of praise from chroniclers, from historians. He's very much a milestone yeah. in Scottish history. Yeah, he's very good. Well done, Constantine II. Brilliant. Next time, we will review Malcolm I. But until then, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio!